Tell me a little something, KD. Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? Hello and welcome back to the Notes from the Hardwood Podcast. I am Mitch McCown. I'm joined by a man who today has fractured the right index finger on his hand and is still going to try to play tonight in Game 5. That is the one, the only, the legendary, the iridescent, the incorrigible Adam Dodd. How's it going, Pretty Adam? good. I don't know if I can top that intro right there, but uh, I'm definitely going to try to... You never can. I'm going to try to do my uh, mouse clicks with this broken index finger. <laughs> we are proud of you for continuing to to struggle through the pain, to recognize the type of the, the, the time of the year that we are in, the type of season that we are in. It is a short sprint, the short season, the silly season, but we're not talking Formula One. We're not talking the footy. We're talking NBA basketball, my friends. We are talking about a first round of the playoffs as just seen the second series within it close out and finish as the new york knicks have just finished off the cleveland cavaliers we will talk about the many ramifications from that series uh a little bit ways away but unfortunately when we last talked adam we were talking about the reality of a playoffs that had so much set up for us and not least among that was that everybody was healthy all the big guys were ready to rock and roll. Everybody was going to be good to go. We were talking about Kawhi versus Kevin Durant. We're talking about Giannis absolutely rolling over the heat. We're talking about Ja Morant going after the 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 young and the old Los Angeles Lakers. We were talking about Joel Embiid putting the hammer down on the Brooklyn Nets. We're talking about a whole lot of things. Some of those things have happened. But man alive, there have been some casualties, my friend. Absolutely. And it's been coming in waves this entire first round. And it seems to have died down a little bit, but the damage has kind of been done. And a lot of these series were the casualties of it all. It is, it's been, um, I mean, it's made for some really interesting basketball by and large. Um, the, the Sixer, I, actually, I misspoke because I just completely forgot about the Sixer series. This is the, the third series that is now wrapped up, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks, um, uh, because the, the Sixers just took care of business, but we'll talk about them in a little bit. I think the biggest disappointment certainly from a fan perspective was the, the frankly the robbery of what should have been an exceptionally compelling four or five matchup in the West um, that took, that was the Phoenix sun and the Los Angeles Clippers. And just, you have Kawhi for two games of the five game series and you have Paul George on the court precisely for zero minutes and zero seconds. And it's um, I don't know. I felt like we were robbed. No, I agree because what we saw in game one was so incredible. The Clippers pulled off what a lot of people didn't think was possible winning without uh, a healthy Paul George. And then we don't even get to see much of that anymore because Kawhi was injured like in the middle of game two and then he never returned. And somehow the Clippers were like in all of the games in this series, even without oh, yeah. their stars somehow. But I, it kind of goes to show that I think having even just Kawhi for those games three, four, and five, they might have been able to snag one of those, especially maybe game game four at home or something. So 
it's just a bit disappointing. And mm-hmm. obviously this is year four of the Paul George and Kawhi experiment. And now we've come to another end of a season where they're not healthy and they're an early exit in the playoffs. So it's been unfortunate. It's been unlucky for them these past few years, but um, I, I mean, there's yeah. not much else to say. It's really just disappointing. Yeah. I don't know. And it's always an interesting question. It's not really the point of this conversation, but it's always an interesting question for me, especially when it regards to Clippers. Um, And the wider question of player health and being able to bank upon players is with the modern advances in medicine, we've never had um, more knowledge about what's happening in players' bodies. We've never known how to treat players' bodies better. Um, And yet, we still don't really know who's actually injury prone and who's just like unlucky. It's hard to make that actual distinction without mountains of empirical data. I feel like we're at the point where you can say Kawhi Leonard for long-term stretches just isn't going to be insanely reliable health-wise. And I feel like we're at a point now we could probably say the same thing about Paul George and as somebody who's always been a huge fan of Joel and Bede, especially, I am loathe to just write somebody off as like, oh, just, you know, injury wrecked freak. Yeah, play play 50 games, coward, like that kind of thing. But it's it's a it's a hard pill to swallow if you're the Clippers when you pull off this coup in the uh, I believe it's the summer of 2019. And you just cannot pivot that into any kind of actionable success i mean we're talking about a clippers team never mind that hasn't made a finals now hasn't met a made a western conference finals with Kawhi leonard and paul george after the fourth completed year of them being together uh, did, did they not make the western finals against uh the suns two years ago and Kawhi towards acl i think that was the final was that was yeah, that, I think that, that series? Was that series. Was like that the Western finals? Conference finals? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. They made one Western Conference final, and then Kawhi Leonard tore his <laughs> <Yeah>. ACL. <laughs> so yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but irrespective, one conference finals versus zero, it's been a pretty much an unmitigated failure. If you recall, they 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 traded the farm for Paul George. That might have been, looking back, a bit of a market resetter in terms of what, what stars got on the open market via trade um, when they were under contract because they sent hella picks, hella pick swaps, hella young talent, one of whom happened to turn into Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's probably going to make first-team All-NBA this year, probably going to make a couple more first-team All-NBA before he's done. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that's a hard pill to swallow, man, no matter how you slice yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean... I don't even know what to say. I did look at the cap sheet earlier today, and they can bring everyone back but Mason Plumley because Mason Plumley is their only free agent of note. So in a way, they can take solace in that, that they don't have to change anything. But it's still frustrating, I'm sure, for Clippers fans because this has just been agonizing. Yeah, just another miserable another miserable postseason that leads into an offseason full of question marks. All of which avoid the big question of if Kawhi Leonard or Paul George are going to be available when it really matters. Yeah. A guy that we, we've usually never had to ask that question for is Giannis, but 
his team is now staring a massive hole in the face, a 3-1 deficit after what has rightly been called one of the better postseason performances, single-game performances of all time, Jimmy Butler in game four in Miami. And the one seed, the best team record-wise in the NBA, has to win three in a row to not go home in the first round. Um, It's a huge deal. It's a massive deal, and it wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation if Giannis hadn't fallen early in Game One and done something to his back. I, the last I saw it called was a lower back contusion. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever happened, it's been causing him pain. He's still not moving right, even as we watch Game Four or rather Game Five live here while we're recording this podcast. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get to full health. But it it puts them in a really bad spot really early in the day when they probably needed like any other team that really has championship aspirations. First round, you want that to be four or five. Let's get out of here. Let's go home. Let's rest yeah. these bodies. And that's just not what it's going to be if they want to get out of this first round series alive. They have to go. Yeah, seven. and a lot of what happened around that injury was sparking a lot of debate online, especially with the charge call. A lot of people thought Kevin Love mm-hmm. undercut him and. I'm kind of leaning on the side of being on okay with charges. I mean, the defense is already at such a disadvantage. I think maybe they could yeah. implement a way for them to identify if a player was there after someone took off, but the game is so fast. I don't know how that could really be done without like a, a review every time a charge is called, which, is slow, which would slow the game down like immensely. So I don't know how um good that would be so and the same thing actually happened to ja who we'll talk about next but um this this has been just crazy overall and i'm i'm really hoping the bucks can pull this off as this would just be an insane um upset as jimmy butler blocks a three and takes it in for a layup (laughs) (laughs) that jimmy butler guy's pretty good we'll talk about him in a bit but um I mean, I personally, one one issue that I've always had with the NBA and its modern iteration is that I don't think they do enough for offenses. Um, I don't think there's just there's just not enough given to them from a rule standpoint. So anything that will make offense simpler and defense harder, harder can only be good for the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and it's a very strange conversation that took place around Giannis, around the jaw call and issue. Oh, my Lord, Jimmy Butler. Um but it's a ridiculous conversation, frankly. They're not banning the charge. It's a basic part of the game that has been around since they were putting the ball into peach baskets. Like, you, you cannot... What's, what's even the, the alternative? That, that offensive players can just run over defensive players? I mean... They just barge through them? <laughs> like, some people were saying they need to extend the restricted area, which... I think it's still too much of an offensive advantage because there are a lot of players, especially like Giannis, who could just (laughs) barge into the lane and then he's just a foot away from an extended restricted line where he can almost take off from (laughs) the free throw line. And if anyone gets in his way, it's a a block. So um, I don't know. That's honestly the ridiculous thing. Like we already have like a top three, two, one, whatever you want to call him, player in the NBA who plays like a running back, <laughs> and just like just like breaks people's noses and then acts like he's 
He gets called for like one offensive foul every other game when he's committing five of them every half. And I'm like, how are we? Why are we making the game yeah. easier? Run and dunk, man. <laughs> Learn a skill. Yes, I'm a salty Harden fan. Yep. Get over it. All right, Embiid. Uh, God bless him. He has, um, I believe it was an LCL strain uh, in his right mm-hmm. knee, I think. And uh, I've consulted with some medical professionals, and they've reliably told me that rest and relaxation can uh, actually heal that over time. Okay. Um, so uh, that is, uh, yeah, of course, uh, speaking of Reynal Sabari and Shanti Tonga, um, they reliably told me um, that rest and relaxation heals all strains. Uh, no surgery right. needed. Um, they also told me, interestingly enough, that the vaccines didn't work. Um, and <laughs> so now I, I'm not a medical expert by right. any imagination. Ultimately, it's up for their uh, respective medical institutions to determine the validity of those statements. I'm just telling you what I heard. I'm just telling right, you what they right. told me. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kidding! So, uh, anyway, Embiid's hurt. Uh, his status for a Boston series that is going to be delayed a little bit now. We'll get into that later. Um, is still up in the air towards the front end. I find it almost impossible to believe that he won't play in that series, period, at some point. Um, but even if he misses, say, the first two games in Boston, that's a big problem for the Sixers. Definitely. And... This is it's a they have to have not only Joel Embiid but a Joel Embiid who's able to perform at an elite level on both ends of the court and this injury is probably going to hinder him from doing that. And then you got kind of going down the line Tyler Hero. You have De'Aaron Fox. You have in the T Wolves. God, they missed three rotation players against the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. And got into an absolute, I mean, a, a dog fight with the Nuggets for the last two games of that series. Um, it's just been a lot of injuries in the first round, which sucks because they're not going to lower the amount of games played. But I don't know, man. I, I understand that this is a business and that anything that takes money out of owners' pockets is something that's going to be poo-pooed by the yeah. league um, unless the, the Players Association really fights for it. And based on the last collective bargaining agreement that got ratified, I think, today, they ain't going to fight for that. It seems like they're not going to fight for much, if anything, actually. Um, so 82 games and the realities of what 82 games does to a human body when they play professional basketball at an elite level is going to remain. Um, and that's what it is. They just uh, you can moan about it, you can complain about it, but that is the reality on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And just one correction: you pronounced the name wrong. It's Joe Fell Embiid. Um. Okay. All right. That's good. I didn't even say his first name. I don't think. But shut up. Shut up. I, and that's the best part: is that you are mocking a man with a literal knee strain. Um. Yeah. I wonder how he got that. <laughs> I'm kidding, but uh, it is funny to poke. Uh, He's poke not. Jokes. He's completely <laughs> earnest. At all the falling Joel was doing in that Brooklyn series, but um, yeah, it's it does suck that he got injured. I didn't. I, no. I think it was after a block attempt, and he landed on Cam Johnson and had to like keel over after that or something, and that was 
where a lot of people yeah. reported that happened. Joe fell so. indeed. You're right. Yeah, good point, buddy. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, you know who didn't fall down? Don't know. I really don't know. Your Denver Nuggets did not fall down in the first round series against the T Wolves. I had I had T Wolves in uh, three. <laughs> it turns out that was um, not only an inaccurate prediction, but an impossible one. Um, but I don't watch basketball, so I'm just kind of making all this up as I go along. <laughs> and it was a five-game series that, on the face of it, was pretty simple. I mean, you know, the one seed dispatches the five seed, or the eight seed, rather, in five games. And bada-bing, bada-boom, we all go home. Boy, howdy. Uh, games four and five... The T-Wolves shorthanded gave these Nuggets everything they could ever want, and maybe a little bit more. Yeah, they fought tooth and nail to the final whistle and some the entire last two games. The the fact that slow-mo was out like the second half with that self-inflicted uh, eye injury, that was kind of a blow that I expected to really have a bigger impact, but it ended up not because of the – where they just rallied around each other. Um, it, game four was almost an instant classic in the way that the Nuggets, they were down 12 with like maybe two minutes left, and I turned the game off in frustration because every time we got back, Anthony Edwards would hit a three, and the lead was somehow <laughs> back to nine, and then it was up to 12, and I was like, well, I'm just going to, for the sake of my mental health, just turn this off <laughs> and go do something else, and then... <laughs> On the Apple TV, it'll give you a notification, and it was like, tune in to see the Nuggets, see if the Nuggets can take it to overtime within one point, and I, was, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I tuned back in, and we somehow pushed it to overtime. But uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is actually Stephen Curry. I don't know if a lot of our listeners know that, but oh, yeah. he's shooting 105% from three in this Nuggets series. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get a max contract this summer. But, uh, yeah. yeah, they killed us in that overtime. But um, <laughs> game five uh, yesterday was really something. The way the Timberwolves got up to a 15-point lead in the first quarter, I was just certain mm-hmm. we weren't going to come back from that. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't know if we had the energy to match that. But somehow we did, and this foul-fest ref abomination of a series – Came to an end with finally <laughs> over, mercifully yeah. done. And Anthony Edwards almost <laughs> it was horrible, dude. Time. Yes, it was so bad. Um, oh my lord, this was like the first series, I think, in maybe 20 years that two players fouled out in the same game multiple times. Like Cat and Rudy Gobert fouled out in game five, and I think both of them fouled out in yep. game four, so like at the very end. And it's all because of these refs. They were so terrible. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. And usually, I would make some. I would make some account for like them fighting tooth and nail, being basically without Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels, maybe to a lesser extent. The only size that the T Wolves have, like the only size that they have, is in that front court yeah. duo, and like them fighting tooth and nail against obviously Nikola Jokic, the top three, two, one, whatever you want to call him, player in the league. Um, But even then, 24 fouls across the two of them over two games, 
probably not, right? right? <laughs> like, probably not. <laughs> it it was know. just so inconsistent. The there were some soft fouls that would just never get called, even in a regular season game, and then there were just random fouls that. And then dudes getting punched in the mouth that just like, you know, yeah, yeah, play exactly. on. It was yeah, wild. Exactly. So uh, I'm glad we survived the refs. They really had a bad call with about two minutes left that gave the uh, Timberwolves the ability to tie the game, which was just such an insane thing. Oh, what was that? Uh, was that the one where they tried to uh, – where the Nuggets challenged it? We did challenge a call because – Cat initiated contact on Aaron Gordon and then held him with his other hand as he laid up with this the ball in yeah. his hand, and we lost it because technically Aaron Gordon. Frankly, frankly, I thought Aaron Gordon hurt first, right? And I thought it was a good no overturn, but I understand yeah. the point. I understand, I understand your perspective. I mean, in some instances, that's just like a no call, but just the way the initial contact happened, but. Him holding Aaron Gordon with his other hand, I thought it was going to be an offensive foul. And then because we lost that mm-hmm. challenge, the next play, possession, Murray is standing still on an offensive screen, and uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker like embellishes oh, a little bit. remember that where like well, it's not Nikola Jokic like not leaning into him, just setting a That's, normal screen, yeah. and then. Naw flinging himself to the floor exactly. like he's been shot. That's what I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. I remember that one. And, yeah, and then the Wolves get a three in the next possession. So that was just yeah. super frustrating. But just for the sake of my mental health, I'm just glad that <laughs> the game is over, <laughs> the series is over. And now you just get to watch the Phoenix Suns play the Nugget. At It'll least be I great. Get three days uh, off between because <laughs> I don't know if I can handle. That's right. Yeah, you get to recover yeah. a little bit. Absolutely. So we'll do a quick post mortem on the T Wolves before we move on. It's been a freaking weird year for the t-wolves like it it, they just don't have any continuity even out there during the series when i was watching the games it felt like they were still trying to get to know each other on the court Mm -hmm. you know um still trying to understand each other and that started to crystallize they started to understand each other a little bit more games four i thought game five especially cat finds gobert a couple times on these fast passes down the middle when um, they recognize that the the Nuggets are kind of switching everything to take the ball away from Anthony Edwards. And that was good. That's kind of a good vision of how this could work. And then, obviously, in Game 5 as well. And I, I'll grant you, T-Wolves fans, I don't watch an over amount, like a huge amount of T-Wolves basketball. But this might be one of the first times I can recall that Cap played like he was an a borderline if not seven footer yes where he's like oh yeah i'm tall and then he just went toward the basket <laughs> and flicked it in to get a layup or something it was surreal I was like you remembered you were tall this is yeah, amazing. Cause... um but i know because games one through three it was uh aaron gordon able to kind of neutralize him because he wasn't playing to his size mm-hmm. and i was joking with you guys i was like who told can't carl anthony towns that he's seven feet tall <laughs> in games four and five he actually <laughs> used his size advantage on aaron gordon and he made it look like a mismatch the uh, the rest of the series and thankfully because it should have been right. <laughs> the whole time it should have been <laughs> and thankfully it was too little too late because i think if they had maybe stolen a game sooner and 
these um, adjustments were in place a little earlier, I think they could have taken advantage of that and made some games yeah. closer. Yeah. But um, I was reading yeah. a uh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to do some cap sheet stuff. Oh, yeah. I was just saying I read on The Athletic today a couple of postmortems on the, the T-Wolves and Chris Finch made a really good point, I thought. He said we we've, we we play with a lot of uh, like grit and execution and energy when our backs are up against the wall, but until our backs like basically the idea of like until our backs are against the wall, we don't play with the type of energy, cohesiveness, and execution that's needed to win games at this level. And I was like, darn Skippy, yeah, that makes sense um, because they slept walk. It felt like through those first three games of the series. Like they just did not answer the bell at all. Yeah. And the Nuggets kind of, they were able to just kind of moonwalk their way to a 3 0 lead. And at that point, the series is over. It's just a question of when. Yeah. And I, I tend to agree that this is an entirely different series if they bring the type of energy, execution, um, togetherness that they displayed in games four and game, just the fight, the give a damn. Right. Um, that they have in those, those last, uh, 96 minutes and it just wasn't there and that's been the story of their season it's been the story of cat's career frankly and now they're left and you go ahead now with some big decisions absolutely because next season without even doing anything they're already over the cap and i think one of the main uh underdog stars of this series to kill alexander walker is actually a free agent and along with him is nas reed austin rivers and uh jalen noel so i'm pretty sure they're gonna have nas at the top of their free agent priority list and they're already over the cap and a lot of that's obviously due to the go bear trade he's going to be owed 41 million next year and then cats owed 36 million so that's 77 million dollars tied up in your front court and mike conley is also going to be getting his 24 million dollars next year so that's a lot of money tied up in uh kind of non modern basketball front court and an older point guard and then anthony edwards is going to definitely get that max extension like probably the first day he's eligible this summer and the yep. future seasons are going to be super expensive for a team that's, uh, I mean, at the best, maybe a four seed at best. And I'm probably stretching yeah. it with everything yeah, exactly. going right. And so you have that, you have those free agents. I don't know if they can match a team might this desperate enough, maybe like the Hornets throw Nasrid a crazy like 15 million average salary over like four years or something. And mm-hmm. they lose Nasrid and then Nikhil Alexander Walker just put on a show. I mean, he's like the prototypical three and D guy who was given up on by like a few teams and just I didn't think would have any impact in the series. And he was glued to Jamal's hip like for five straight games. So he might have some value on the open market. So and that, that that's just kind of the first domino right there. Yeah. I know it's, it's in vogue to, to hate upon the Rudy Gobert trade. And the reason that it's in vogue to hate upon the Rudy Gobert trade is that the Rudy Gobert trade was stupid. It was a dumb thing to do. They, they've sold, I mean, they they have 
no assets. They have nothing to trade. They have nothing to give away that can just bring in value that helps the team right away. There is one player on this franchise's roster that they could move that would actually move the needle for the franchise in any kind of uh, uh, meaningful way, and his name is Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. And he was the whole point of all of this for the longest time. And I know that like, there, if, if he were floated on the open market, he would have suitors. That's not the question. Like He would be wanted. They would be probably paid a pretty price for him if it ever ended up coming into fruition. But to, to paint yourself into such a corner that the only thing that you can do is trade your franchise's number two guy. That's a disaster. Absolutely. It's a horrible disaster. And some of these teams might be able to kind of hold them over a barrel because I was trying to think of some trade destinations. A lot of people have been floating out the Trey Young for Cat Swap. It's interesting. I don't know if that's necessarily the needle mover. Some I think it is. I don't know why Atlanta would really do that because they already have John Collins. I don't know what they would be doing with that really deep front court. Portland, I thought of, to pair with Dame, if they were trying to maybe ship off Anthony Anthony Simons. Uh, the Pacers have draft assets. I don't know if they have a young player they could send back that could really help right now. The Heat are just always on people's radars. And then I kind of thought about the Pelicans, maybe. I don't, but I don't know. I think Brandon Ingram from, for Cat is kind of dumb. So, like, Incredibly. So, I mean, it's, uh, stupendously stupid. And the other yeah. teams are either contenders that don't need another person in the front court or a rebuilding team that's not really there yet to try to do anything like that. So, yeah, I think the most the most likely outcome is that they stand put, say, that's a weird year. We didn't have cat for four months. That was strange. Let's try this again. Yeah, that's. And the best case scenario is like, what, 47, 46 wins, mm-hmm. a four or five series somewhere. And I don't know. Uh, it's it's I think it's been talked about in national media. I've seen clips about it um, or at least. I haven't watched the clips, but I've seen the headlines from the clips, which is better um, because I don't give those people my viewing or my energy. But I have seen them um, say something to the effect that like the T-Wolves are kind of boned. And I tend to agree with that. I think they're in a really bad yeah. spot. Um, and I don't know where they go from here. Maybe they don't go anywhere. And this is just who they are forever. That'd be cool. <laughs> anyway. So... Uh, We'll talk now real quickly about the the current series going on between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Grizzlies just forced game six back in Lakerland. Um, this team, this Memphis Grizzlies team that I, I have, and I, I, I have done it loudly and proudly, um, and to the talent standpoint, I, I don't disagree with my assessment at all. To be like this young of a team and a second seed in the NBA's Western Conference and somebody that has won as many games have as they have in the last two years, that doesn't happen by accident. 
But boy, howdy, they are not ready for this kind of spotlight. They they have hit a Lakers team with obviously championship pedigree all over the floor, and they've gotten kind of bullied a little bit. Yeah, and I think some people forget how young the team is, especially the core job, Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. are all under 24 or 25, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a pretty young core that's still learning as they go. This is a pretty uh, intense first-round matchup for a 2-7, and the Lakers have a few heady veterans, of course, LeBron, and it's made the series a lot harder for him. And Dylan Brooks stoking the flames probably hasn't helped either. So um, uh, it's it's been interesting. They did have a bit of a statement game five tonight at home, kind of standing put and uh, kind of putting the, way, the game away late in the third quarter. But it's going to be interesting to see if they can actually win in L.A. Uh, in two days, two to three days, and actually bring it back to Memphis for game seven. I don't know that they can. Yeah. I, I, uh, especially when I think about, was it game? I think it was game three. That was Saturday night. Um, when Ja has to have this, just this, um, freak show of a performance down Hercule the stretch <laughs> on a, on a bad hand to get them even within sniffing distance, not enough. Yeah. It comes down, they have the game in their hand. They, they, they have the game right in front of them, and they cannot execute on a simple, really simple. And I'm mean, talking about Dylan Brooks and John Morant cannot execute a simple game plan against LeBron James to win a game in Los Angeles, to not go down 3-1, to not go to overtime. And they can't execute it. I just have real worries about their ability to, to because if you thought that you got the Lakers' best shot in three and four, you have no idea who LeBron James is. You know, I have no idea how his teams respond when the going gets tough. My friends in Memphis, you have seen nothing yet. They are going to get every single round left in the clip from the Los Angeles Lakers for this not to go seven. And I have seen precious little to suggest that they're going to be ready to respond to that when the lights are bright at crypto.com arena. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. LeBron had a bit of an off night tonight, but another day's rest and being back home, I'm sure he's going to show up with the classic 27, seven and seven sat line that he's never actually mm-hmm. had in a real game but never had uh, never yeah. actually done and a lot of people <laughs> i think have forgotten about the absence of steven adams and that's kind of been one of the achilles heels of what they've been susceptible to is their front court defense as well as good as xavier tillman has kind of been at times it's not been enough for the onslaught that the lakers are trying to put with rim pressure uh, and at the end of the day, Jaron Jackson Jr. can do everything. And he almost had them winning with that block on LeBron late in game four, the behind the back pass from Jada Bain and they go up two. I thought that was kind of an icing on the game, but somehow they Should have been. weren't able to execute. Like you said, some of that inexperience, <laughs> uh, 
some of those bright lights maybe shining a bit too bright and they weren't able to close that game out. So I don't know if they've learned their lessons through those games to maybe be able to have some more maturity and execution in LA. But I think I'm mm-hmm. leaning to agree with you that um, the Lakers close this out in game six. I hope I'm wrong, but yeah. you never know. I don't know. And the Grizzlies have, have speed run uh, evaporating all my goodwill towards them this year. Um, at an impressive rate, got to say. Again, they, they have any percentage completed this thing in um, record time. <laughs> I'm, I think it's an incredible array of talent that they've assembled. It's, it's a team, obviously. We talked about this before the playoffs. To be missing Steven Adams and Brandon Clark in this series, in this series, disaster. Horrible. They, and this is not anybody's grandma's seven seed, you know? Yeah. And then to run into Anthony Davis and uh, just LeBron James and Austin Reeves randomly uh, as a team missing that already wasn't like massive, not a massive team by any stretch of the imagination, but to miss two of your best front court players is um, it's seeming like that plus their inability to execute down stretches is just going to be too much. And um, winning NBA in the NBA, Adam is exactly that hard. <laughs> Sometimes it's exactly yeah. that simple. And um, that's the game brother. So uh, speaking of that's the game. I wish I, I, Depending on who wins tonight, I don't know who will win because it's a close game right now. We might get seven of King's Warriors, and I really hope we do because it has been everything we could have hoped for in a series. Everybody was like, look at watch King's Warriors. It's going to be really good. Ha. Huh. Huh. <laughs> it's Man. been amazing. It's so good. Yeah, and if we talked about it before the series started, these were two motion offense teams. The Kings, obviously the younger team that's trying to prove themselves, and the Warriors trying to get back on track uh, with their championship pedigree. And it's been a high-flying series. The stars have been out. I mean, Steph really showed out in that game three. That was kind of a do-or-die game three because the Kings were coming into that game the Warriors didn't have Draymond Green. Sabonis and the and Fox were looking kind of unstoppable. And going up 3-0 is kind of a nail in the coffin. So that was a good response from the Warriors. And then game four was – that was kind of historic. I really don't remember any time a star player in a crunch time situation called a timeout when they didn't have one when, when Steph did that. And they were a Harrison Barnes <laughs> prayer away from being down three one because of just an implosion in the final minute. So that that was pretty exciting. I, I mean, a lot of people are ragging on Harrison Barnes because they're saying he's a he's still playing for the Warriors in this series. Well, he's had a horrible <laughs> series. Like, period. He's been awful this series, yeah. and that, yeah, I mean, that is just like. You got to hit that shot. I think Steph Curry was closing out on him. Like, bro, it's not getting blocked. 
all you gotta do is shoot the basketball into the into the basketball hoop. It's a really easy game. I yeah. should be a coach. <laughs> but I one of the big takeaways from me for this series is that and I, I really saw this in 2018-19, I believe. Um Kevon Looney is maybe as unappreciated a big man as we have in the entire NBA. Absolutely. That guy just impacts winning basketball at an unbelievably high level. He just does the winning stuff. And if you could craft a big to play in this type of warrior system, that's going to play big minutes at the five, make Kevon Looney. Forget James Wiseman. It is Kevon freaking Absolutely. This guy, he just wins. He just wins. It's really that simple. And he knows his role and he does it well. The rebounding he's able to do, especially in a series like this against Sabonis, who's been a fantastic rebounder all season, to make it look so easy is something that's really underappreciated. And he's able to defend him well. He's been able to get in his head this series. I mean, in a way, maybe Draymond can't because he can actually match his size. He's been able to stunt Sabonis down. And Sabonis' numbers have gone from seven assists in the regular season down to three in this series. And he's averaging four turnovers, which is just a flip of the script from where he was as this kind of heady spraying offense, as Mike Brown likes to call it. He's been able to lock down Mm -hmm. those uh, passing lanes. He's been able to really be physical with them. And it's just completely gutted the efficiency that Sabonis has been having prior to this series. I don't know. I've, I've been kind of saying these Warriors are cooked. For a while, um, but I also realized that this type of series was going to be one where they would be able to hang real tight because this is basically the again it's a Spider Man meme, and although they are very similar teams in terms of um, even team makeup, role players to a certain extent, the difference in pedigree could not be more pronounced. Like, obviously, if we wanted to start last year, these are the defending champion Golden State Warriors, right? Never mind that these are the four-time champion Golden State Warriors. Never mind that this core four have been in wars and have stories from those wars that would make these young Kings players wet their pants, you know, that kind of thing. And I remember reading Tim Kakawami. Um, if I'm mispronouncing his name, I apologize. I don't have his name in front of me. But the gentleman from The Athletic who covered the uh, Warriors for a long time, and he typically writes for uh, most Bay Area teams, and we'll talk about the Warriors a lot during the playoffs. He said after Game 3 that he was just completely unconvinced that the Kings were going to win a game at Chase and that this would really come down to who won Game 5, and he thinks that whoever wins Game 5 won- wins the series. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like the Kings could do it, but... Now, I, more and more, I've come to agree with him that you don't win game three, you don't win game four. I have, irrespective of how this game goes, and there's every chance the Kings win tonight, just as there's every chance the Warriors win tonight. Whoever wins this series or whoever wins this game, 
the Warriors are going to win game six and chase. I, I would encourage you to put that and send it to the bank. <laughs> That's actually not a bad take from uh, for that because – We've, I mean, we've been seeing it all year. The Warriors have been able to beat one of the best home teams and one of the worst road teams, especially mm-hmm. for these contending teams in the playoffs. Um, I think what's going to be the key tonight for the Kings is having one of these role players wake up because Kevin Herter is having just an abysmal playoffs because right now he's shooting. Mm. I mean, just guess what he's shooting from three right now. It feels like it's around ten percent because bro can't make a he can't he can't he couldn't throw a life preserver into the ocean right yeah, now. Yeah, it's fourteen percent from three on. I was doing better yeah, than I on thought. Five attempts, but he's not even averaging one three made in each game this series. It's been very important because he is a lot of what makes that motion offense work. A lot of the off ball. Um, a lot of the off-ball actions that he uh, is able to take advantage of, taking those um, screens away from the action and kind of floating in open space to shoot on the move. And when you're not a threat to be able to do that, you're really not doing much because that's kind of what they paid you and traded you over there for. Uh, Malik Monk has been able to show up in this series, and I wish – Darren Fox was able to find him instead of Harrison Barnes at the end of game four because he was also open. And I would have way uh, – I, I would have trusted that shot going down a lot more. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, outside of Fox and Monk kind of really being consistent, I, I really don't know where the next player up is going to come. And they need to arrive in game five if they're going to win it. Well, they're up nine right now. Um, they're been about three minutes left in the first. The Aaron Fox looks none the worse for wear with that left finger. I think I've seen at least two threes that he's knocked down. And he's been, I think he's had a really good series. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like from what I've seen from him, he's reformed at a very high level. And his kind of coming out party in the playoffs against no less uh, an opponent in the Golden State Warriors has gone probably about as well as you could have hoped if you're a Sacramento Kings fan looking to the future. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's, I was going to say ahead. he's averaging 32, six and seven on 44, 34, 70 shooting, not the greatest splits, but to be getting 32 points and the seven assists, that is kind of insane. He's kind of yeah. been making up for some of the playmaking drop off from Sabonis. So yeah. he's doing all you can ask. I mean, everything, Everything good that's come for the Kings, the series has come from De'Aaron yeah. Fox. Like he he has been their focal point. Um, and the Warriors have really loaded up against him. Like really loaded up against him. And he's kept he keeps finding a way to get it done. He he's he's not even really been able to get to the cup at all with the way that they've they've set the defense against him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much further we are from like strict ball denial type stuff like we saw against Anthony Edwards last night from the Nuggets. But I feel like we can't be too far away from that with the way that he is performing right now against the uh, the Warriors and how really they have to start begging anybody else on the Kings to beat them. Yeah, because if they um, can funnel him away from being effective, I think they can really just like choke the life out of their offense in that way. So we'll see how it goes. I'm going to try to tune in 
uh, in a second in the background here. So, yeah, very fun series. Hope right. it goes to seven. Abs- that'd be that'd be really fun. A game seven in Sacramento. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, sign me up. You know, it's not going to a game seven, Adam. These Clippers. <laughs> Clippers and Suns over in five, which does not tell even remotely the full tale of this story. Devin Booker was exceptional. He had an incredible series. I would say he was probably the only son that can be held up to have that type of marker. Um, Chris Paul has again continued his, I would say, evolution into just almost a pass exclusive guard. Um, and that's fine, actually, on a team like this, perfectly fine, but it also just takes away another tertiary, contortiary, I don't even know if that's a real word, but for, oh, Steph just banked in a three, that's silly. If he's doing that, this game is Jova. Um, just kidding. So, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Adam, we were talking a little bit before this, I'm kind of with Adam in that I am... More worried about the Suns after the series than I was going into it. This against a nano at times, not small ball, a nano ball Clippers team just looked like a... They looked like a team that was just going to bludgeon you to death by being better than you are, not because they were playing better, if that makes yeah. sense. Um they just had enough moments where we have Devin Booker better than you have De- Devin Booker. We have Kevin Durant better than you have Kevin Durant. Rather than being a better, more complete, more cohesive basketball team, they're better players, just better players all over the Clippers, and that was enough. Yeah, and um, by the weight of sheer talent. And the talent advantage was just lopsided because of the injuries that the Clippers had to deal with. No Kawhi, no Paul George. And the nano ball Clippers were still able to kind of keep close, especially yesterday. They brought the game within two in the closing minutes. Yeah, I mean, they. it seemed like that happened in each of the games. They won those four straight games from two to five. The Clippers were either ahead going into halftime or like really close coming into crunch time. And I don't know if that's because the Suns were just kind of letting off the gas and knew that they had the star power to just go ahead and win that kind of game. But in a way, that's a little concerning. But at the end of the day, uh, Devin Booker dominated 37, 5, and 6 on an insane 60, 46, 85 splits. That was all. I mean, I really haven't heard too many people talk about how well he's been playing online again because the series has kind of been – uh, overlooked with all the other more competitive games, but Devin Booker has really arrived and he's really been playing like crazy. And something else I'm keeping in mind is the amount of minutes they were playing because Devin Booker was playing 43, Kevin Durant was playing 44 minutes in these games. I thought that was, I thought that might be too much of a load for a team that's you know supposed to be comfortably winning. Um, that's something I'd probably keep an eye on for the next series against the Nuggets, but they dominated in their minutes and that's kind of all that matters. So, yeah. 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 Ultimately, I think the things that we can learn from this series and so far as we can learn anything 
Um, the big takeaway is that the Clippers probably aren't going to win a lot of games without Kawhi Leonard or Paul George in the playoffs. Shocker. Um, to the surprise of everybody. Stunner. Um, Kevin Durant is going to remain the focal point of opponents' defenses. Um, they're, I, I, correct me if you think I'm wrong, by all means. He never looked comfortable this series. He never looked settled into being himself on the court. Did you get the same vibe? In a way, because this is still, that was still like game four. I think that was game 18 with Kevin Durant in the lineup with the Suns. So this is still pretty new to him, I think, in a way. And some of the, I think it was game four um, where KD went super cold. It was one of these games in this series where he just, wasn't in a flow and I think was like barely shooting 25% from the floor at that point. And that was probably just due to the lack of chemistry. These guys haven't played together much. And he probably honestly took this series as like a warm up to get ready for more competitive games uh, with the squad. So, yeah, I don't know how much to take out of that. Like, um, he still was able to average almost 30 points a game in this series despite uh, yeah. some poor shooting at some in some stretches. So we'll see. I mean, he is Kevin Durant. If he's healthy, he's probably going to be averaging about 30 per game in a series no matter who's guarding him. So um, something that'll be uh, <laughs> that I'll have nightmares about for the <laughs> coming weeks, I'm sure. Yeah. And I do think even though the Suns had a lot of difficulty, that duo of Booker Durant, because even though you're right in the sense that Durant's just going to get to 30, irrespective of what you throw at him. The problem is that you can't just accept that, you know, you can't just be like, ah, well, you know, he's just going to score 30. So we can't, we can't legislate our defense around that. Cause if you don't basically, bar the gates, throw every available man, woman, and child at him. He's going to just score you into into a black hole. He's going to score you into death. And that means the NBA is a game of resources, friends. And we tend to talk about resources from a more front office strategic outlook. Tactically, however... On the NBA basketball court, the X's and O's, your resources are limited too. When you, quote-unquote, load up against a player, that means that the resources that you're committing against them cannot be committed elsewhere. And when you cannot commit those resources against the perfect Robin to the Kevin Durant Batman, that is Devin Booker, you're in trouble. And so I think that the math problem that any team that plays the Phoenix Suns is going to run into is that you're basically starting the game at 60 nothing, because those two guys are going to be in and around 30, irrespective of anything else that happens. And uh, it's a big math problem. Everything else that's wrong with the Suns is wrong with the Suns, and it's real. But you can start the game at 60. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And the fact that they have... The duo plus the Robin duo, so to speak, in Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. One of those guys is going to be open in some of the actions they are going to throw at some of these teams. And 
especially the Nuggets in this coming series. Um, yeah, it's it, and you even we even got to see how Monty Williams is going to stagger these guys uh, in in most instances, and you're probably going to have Devin Booker or Kevin Durant on the floor at all times for 48 minutes, and that's going to be really hard to manage. So, um, like you said. There's only so many resources on the court, and somebody from this dynamic offense is going to be open. So it's going to be interesting to see how things go uh, in the next round. How do you feel? Nervous. <laughs> uh, I'm feeling very nervous. So um, I, I got to dig into the X's and O's before I can make a actual logical decisions about this series. But um, I'm too pessimistic to talk about it right now. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. You know who's not too pessimistic? Probably the Heat. <laughs> Probably Jimmy Butler, yeah. right? Like, holy cow. <laughs> As he says at the end of game four, it's going to be a Miami Heat right now. And he's right. We've mentioned it before at the beginning of this podcast, this now hour-long podcast, because we are long-winded, my friend. Um, but... The Miami Heat are up 3-1. As in, the 8-seed Miami Heat are up 3-1 against the Bucks, And I would be the first one to put my hand up and say, Mia culpa. I caused all of this. <laughs> this is all my doing. Because at the end of our last episode, or somewhere in our last episode, I made a point, something to the effect of Giannis could break his leg and the Bucks would win this series. You sure did. <laughs> that, it turns out, might not have been strictly true. Yeah, apparently he can break his back and they're down 3-1. <laughs> apparently, yeah. Now, in fairness, I never specified anything about the back. Um, <laughs> but I would say that, like, the, the Heat have more life in them than I really expected. Like, I really expected this team to kind of be just like dead on their feet unable to do anything to match the scoring output that the Bucks were capable of for sustained stretches and that this was going to be over toasted in fact I would say this if you had told me before the series that Duncan Robinson would be playing real honest to God rotation minutes in this series I would have laughed you out of the room said Bucks and two <laughs> and then probably smoked a cigar. Um, that is probably how that conversation would have gone. And as I've often been in this life, I would have been wrong. It is, uh, holy cow, man. The, the, Jimmy Butler, I mean, he's just that guy. I don't know. Over the course of an A2 game NBA season, um, he might not be like the superstar that just is going to, pour in these unbelievable stat lines, even though he's had arguably the best year of, I would even say maybe his entire career this year in terms of consistent offensive mm -hmm. output. Um, when the playoffs start and the lights get really bright, there are very few players in the NBA I take over Jimmy Butler. I'm so serious. Yeah, he really steps up when the team needs him most, and he'll carry that burden on both ends of the floor. And he's proven that yet again in this series, especially that game four, just historic performance, which has spawned a lot of weird 
best Heat player of all time debates <laughs> on Twitter I saw, which, I mean, I think we're jumping to conclusions. That's a bit much, <laughs> I mean, right? He's, he's definitely in the top three. <laughs> That's a bit much. <laughs> but let's hold our horses there. Eight up there, yeah. So, um, I mean, and to think that Tyler Hero broke his hand early in this series as well, I would have easily told you that the Bucks were winning this game, this in four or five at the most. So the fact that we're mm-hmm. here is incredible. And one of the stats is kind of mind-blowing right now is that the Heat are shooting 55% on contested three-pointers in this series. And league average is 35 or 32%. So they're shooting over 20% above league average on contested threes in a sustained sample size. Like, sustainable. It's uh, sustainable. I mean, this is who they are now. Game five, and they're still putting enough points. I mean, they're only down eight, but they've put up 60 in the first half already, which is something we really didn't expect. I mean, earnestly. Earnestly, if if you want to know how little you know about the NBA, if you, dear listener, want to understand at a profound level how little you understand about the NBA, I want you to try to cope with what Adam just said, the fact that the Miami Heat, who were somewhere in the 24, 25, 26 range in offensive efficiency this year, as in one of the sixth fifth or fourth worst teams in the entire nba at offense offensive output are shooting as a team like 2015 2016 steph curry from three on contested shots you know nothing you are an ignorant buffoon you do not know hoop. None of us know hoop. Hoop doesn't know hoop. Everything's fake. Yeah, and to start things off, when they lost that playing game against the Hawks and looked so bad, and then they just barely scratched the way I get out of that Bulls game. Weak by <laughs> they just barely made it out. I was I, I just couldn't envision anything like this because they're going up against a Bucks team who was one of the best in the league on defense. You have the runner-up defensive player of the year, Giannis, who's already won one, and Drew, who's like a perennial first-team all-NBA player. And despite all of this defensive prowess, none of that mattered against Jimmy Butler. And they're down 3-1 in the series. This is just historic, really. I mean, improbable and like impossible to think about. And the important thing to remember is that 3-1 is not 4-1. The Bucks are not eliminated. Um, but as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if they are to advance, which is still possible, depending on your rooting interests and your opinions, might even still be probable. Mm-hmm. They have to play seven games against the Heat. And I don't mean that in a derogatory manner against the Heat. I actually mean it as a compliment. The Heat are a nasty, physical, tough matchup. They play you when you play a basketball game against them. And you have to at least, minimum, play seven to get out of the first round against them. This is not going to be the same Bucks team coming out of the first round that went into it, even if they get out. I agree. And they're going to get a well-rested Knicks team 
which is going to be an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic for game one because it's typical of the four seed or five seed being kind of tired, maybe two, three get days off going into the second round. And now it's going to be the Bucks. They have to face a Knicks team who might have a full week off <laughs> before they have to play the Bucks. And maybe Julius Randle's healthy. RJ Barrett figured out how to. Oh, by the way, Tom Thibodeau's, but uh, Tom Thibodeau's Knicks. Yes. Um, <laughs> in case you're wondering if the physicality level would go down in the second round series, it would right. not. So the Bucks road to contending in the East period, never mind for an NBA championship right now. I don't think I'm being exaggerating in the slightest when I say it could not be more difficult than it currently is. Yeah. Like seven games minimum, a tough Knicks series. That's a, not an easy matchup for anybody. Mm-hmm. The Knicks are a pretty good team, and they're going to push you. And then whoever comes out of Boston, probably Boston. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, Boston, uh, uh, Philadelphia. These are hard yards. And especially even if they win tonight. Game six back in Miami. Ooh, Not going to be easy. Not at all. You better bring your big boy <laughs> pants. You better come ready to execute. That's going to be a heck of a game. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Jimmy Butler, take a bow. Bam Adebayo, please play basketball. <laughs> please. Please play basketball. Please. Uh, you know, it's a weird series. I don't even have a segue for this because it's just weird, a weird booty series. Yeah. Celtics Hawks. What the heck's going on, man? It's, I don't even know what to say. They, I, I guess you can say the Celtics have been playing with their food, but I really didn't expect this much. I mean, your food doesn't usually like drop a 30 foot dagger into your right. eye, right? <laughs> food doesn't typically fight back. <laughs> So, I mean, hats off to Trey Young. That was a cold-blooded shot from three to win a game with the your entire season on the line. That took a lot of gumption, and I don't even really. I mean, I am so. Oh, I mean, I don't even really blame Jalen Brunson. I mean, I'm Jalen Brown for the way he covered him on that last play. Like, you're only down one. I mean, you're only up one, so you don't want to give up a layup. So that was like, that was the epitome of Paul George. That was a bad shot kind of moment. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. Exactly what I thought. In the in the words of the immortal Paul George, that's a bad shot, man. Yeah, I mean that's a bad shot. Um, Care what anybody says, that's a bad shot. Uh, But hey, he made it. That story won't be told. That it was a bad shot. Uh, And he's right. We just made it. Exactly. And I'm so dead serious. Like when I say that, when he when he made that little step back, I I physically rolled my eyes when he when he like did the step back move before he put the shot up. I was like, "You idiot!" <laughs> Series over. I was like, "What a dingus! You're down one, and then it hit nothing but sweet twine." And I almost fell out of my chair and I was sitting in my car. <laughs> it wouldn't have been physically possible. I mean, 38, 13 assists, no Deon, De, Deontay Murray, 
I give Trey Young a lot of crap. Um, it's nights like that that harken back to that Knicks series during that Western Conference, or rather Eastern Conference Finals yeah. run, where you're reminded, oh yeah, dude's pretty much unguardable when he wants to be. Yeah, when he gets in that zone, and, man. Woo! Away we go, yeah. right? He was even making a little bit of a defensive effort last night where he was like, he poked the ball behind from Malcolm Brogdon. I was like, hello. <laughs> Harkening back to Mitchell's draft profile on him. <laughs> what? Best case scenario on defense, a gnat that's constantly in passing lanes with active hands? What? Am I a genius? <laughs> Maybe so. Um, obviously. <laughs> I mean, clearly right. I am. I don't mean to brag, but um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's And now it's a really weird situation, right? Because the Hawks win a game, I'll be dead frank with you. They have no business winning game five. Because that game is over. They were down 13 with five minutes left. Uh, It's these blown leads. They were down 10 with like three. There's no excuse for the reason they should be losing that game. The Celtics at least. And and that's kind of the big pivot point is that like they did this a little bit last year too. Even on their way to the uh, the finals, as I recall, they had some games where it's like, I don't know who y'all think you are. <laughs> You've not earned taking the foot off right. the gas. You've not earned coasting home in a playoff series. You are not the Golden State Warriors, friends. You are not the Miami Heat of yesteryear. You are the Boston Celtics, the one nothing Boston, Boston Celtics. Y'all been to one finals, <laughs> lost it after going up 2 nothing. You have proven nothing. I do not know where this, and I—I I, I mean, I don't know what else to explain it as, Adam. Yeah. When they just get that lazy down the stretch, it's like they think they just have earned the right to win. Like now, you will roll over and die. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there was a lot of that in Game Three in Atlanta. Um, despite the fact that they almost broke a three-point shooting record in the first half, they were down by six, if I'm not mistaken. And it just seems like they, like you said, almost have an air of arrogance about themselves in a way that, like you said, they haven't earned. And that's permeated in these games, especially with in execution down the stretch. And I, I just don't even know what to say. Sometimes Tatum isn't officially on at the right time. Jalen Brown isn't on at the right time. Like they were relying on Derek Derek White to make a a shot to tie the game with like the four seconds left after Trey made that shot. So um I don't know. I don't know how much this falls on Joe Missoula. I don't know how much this falls on the players. I mean, Joe yeah. is still technically a really young head coach. This is his first postseason, but um I listened to some Bill Simmons and he always complains about his use of timeouts. Or the lack thereof. So I don't know if that's coming to play here or there. But now, I mean, the Atlanta Hawks had a different event scheduled for this Thursday and had to move it. Jackson Jackson had to move to Friday because they were just certain the Hawks were not going to get to game six. So it's just amazing. And now they have to go on the road again and try to win this game. So we'll see. Now, I don't. Because we talked about this as well. It's like this series, and I'll be frank with y'all, I feel a lot less bad about this one than I do about any other mistake that I've made. <laughs> because 
The Hawks are hilariously outmatched in the series. I mean, hysterically so. They this should be over. Game five should have been four one. We're done here. Maybe survive a late scare, but away mm-hmm. we go. Right. To put yourself in the type of situation where you can lose the game on the last possession of the game for the opposing team, and then you do it. And now, rut row raggy, you have to go back to Atlanta. You have to go play not just Trey Young, but Deontay Murray again. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this comes back to a game seven, it's never been done. I'm not even saying that's what's going to happen. They have to lose game six. Boston Celtics, you've earned nothing. In fact, this is what you've earned. (laughs) All of a sudden, your playoff, you know what's in the vice and your whole legacy as an institution uh, insofar as this certain group of players is concerned completely on the ropes yep this is i mean because this it, it, correct me if i'm being hyperbolic adam by all means there's a pretty decent chance they lose game six that's that that's the type of loss that kicks you in the gut yeah, right super demoralizing and so if you lose game six game seven winner take all That's not just a shoe in. That's not just a, oh, it's just going to go the way that it's going to go. Yeah. I understand it's never been done. I'm saying that things have never been done until they're done. There's a non-zero chance it gets done here. Now, of course, Thursday they can beat them by twenty in Atlanta, <laughs> and we're yeah. done. To even be having the conversation, yeah makes me really worry about the Celtics team. Yeah, and I mean, all the pressure is really on them now. The Hawks are playing with, like, house money at this point. They're, they're playing pretty loose. They're oh, playing free. Entirely. I mean, they'll steal that win without DeJounte Murray. That's another wrinkle we didn't really highlight. But DeJounte Murray was not even in Boston <laughs> for that game five, and they managed to win that game. So all the pressure's on Boston. Um, we'll see how it goes tomorrow. But... Uh, <laughs> For Bill Simmons' uh, mental health state, <laughs> they need to win. <laughs> that makes me want them to lose even more. So, the Sixers and the Nets, I told you it was a sweep. And for once in my ever-loving life, I was correct. Yep. Uh, James Harden was not very good. Joel Embiid wasn't great. But Tyrese Maxey sure was. was. And they got enough from elsewhere. And they finished off the plucky Nets in four. And now they're just chilling. I don't really have too many big thoughts. It went pretty much exactly the way I thought it was. Yeah, and another wrinkle with the Celtics series is the fact that Joel gets some more days off to rest that knee every time the Hawks win a game. Rest and relaxation. uh, He might be able to go into Boston healthy, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty big factor, um, especially for a series that big. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I don't have anything too big on that one. That is, it was just, I don't know. Yeah. They, uh, the Nets are a role player smorgasbord, and that's not how you win playoff games. Never mind yeah. series. And uh, it just wasn't enough on any given night for them to find a way to win. And um, Mikhail Bridges, 
still a really good player. He is probably not a star. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Teetering. Uh, yeah, I think probably he's right there, right? Um, but he's not, I don't think. I just don't think the scoring's quite consistent enough yet. It'd be awesome if it got that way. Um, but just not there as a player right now. And they're not there as a franchise right now. And if they decide they want to suck next year, that'd be awesome. They should do that. In my opinion, be bad. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, I don't even have anything else to say about that, that series. It told me nothing besides what we've known. I mean, Tyrese Maxey is probably a pretty good basketball player. Yeah, that's about it. That's my big um, takeaway. Only thing I was thinking about is their off season. They've got the opportunity to give Cam Johnson an extension, maybe somewhere around four one twenty. I don't know what the going rate is for mm-hmm. guys of his caliber, but that's kind of one of their main things. And then they bring a lot of guys back. Um, they're over the cap. They might. They're probably going to lose Seth Curry. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And maybe they try to cobble together some of these this concoction of draft picks they have and trade for a star. We'll see. Who knows? But yeah, that's that's all I got on this series too. <laughs> it's a sweep. Yeah, they need to, or else we'll get their delicious draft pick. <laughs> Give it to me. Give it to me. I want Wimbiana, and then I want uh, another Ronnie good James. player from the draft. Huh? <laughs> Sure, that's fine. We need a Drew Holiday. That works <laughs> for me. Um, Cavs, Knicks. Oh, Cavs. My sweet God children. Bless. God rest them. They died tonight. Not actually, <laughs> praise God. Um, but they are done. They lost. This series was kind of ugly at times. And I don't mean in terms of like they were mean to each other. It's a playoff series. Of course, there was like some brew-ups and brouhaha's. But basketball was not particularly fluid at times, my friend. Not at all. I mean, you look at that game three that took basketball back oh. 30 years. It was oh. an abomination of a basketball game. The Cavs were the first team to not score 80 points in, like, my lifetime. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it That game reminded me of, like, I don't know if you recall this. You might not. It was during the James Harden era in Houston, which does nothing to narrow the scope, really. Uh, but like, I want to say like 15, 16, maybe 16, 17, somewhere in that range. They played the Oklahoma City Thunder, I want to say in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And it ended up, I think the final score was like 67, 65. Wow. It was horrendous it was awful this is the closest analog i've seen to that game since then this was a playoff game against like really good teams were playing it was horrid (laughs) and it was really anyone's game though down the stretch like it was like 55 59 going into the fourth quarter or something and you know, it, all it took was somebody actually 
figuring out how to shoot it into the hoop effectively. Like if somebody went five of 10 in the fourth quarter, they probably would have won by 20. Like it was just that kind of game. And man, just this entire series from the Cavs, it really exposed their lack of depth on the wings. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about before this series was the fact that the Cavs really didn't have that great of a supporting cast compared to the Knicks. Um, I didn't expect that to have the distinct advantage. Like the dynamic was very lopsided. The Knicks kind of exposed the fact that they don't have any offensive support on the wings or with their guys that are coming off the bench. And they just ignored them the rest of the series. So um, in the end, the Knicks really just had a defensive game plan where they were like, we're just going to bully Donovan Mitchell and we're just going to let a Coro or Lavert or Dean Wade or Chetty Osmond, we'll let them beat us, but we're not going to let Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland beat us. And that strategy is simple as it sounded. It worked and very effectively. Man, when I, when I, we were, when we were previewing the series, I was like, yeah, I think the, the, the Knicks have a bit more in terms of rotation help. I think they'll be a, a bit more. I think they're a bit better. I, I mentioned I didn't trust a whole lot of the Cavs rotation players. Mm-hmm. When I said I didn't trust them, I, I, I did not mean that they would be completely uniformly useless. However, that seems to be what happened yeah. uh, because they contributed less than nothing. They were uh, worse than waste of space. This is, they were active negatives. And uh, the Cavs, they have to figure out the rotation pieces. And that's, I do think they've got the most difficult part of the job done. Like Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, have them there forever. Mm-hmm. Build around that four. That can, that could do some stuff one day, depending on what Darius Garland and Evan Mobley become. I think Jared Allen and Donovan Mitchell would pretty, men- pretty much know what they are. Um, but holy Toledo, they have got to find some actual basketball players to put around those four. Um, Karis LeVert being like your best tertiary option to score the basketball. Turns out it's not great, actually. Shocker. Thank you. Um <laughs> Yeah, real eye opener there. Um, so the the Cavs have done the hard bit, and now they just have to do the other hard stuff, which is making a rotation and a roster that allows the four the space and the opportunity to determine playoff series in the future. Um, and if they can do that, they'll be in the conversation in the East get lucky enough, have a good enough year, have a good enough supporting cast, hit somewhere, get lucky, maybe even be in the conversations to make an Eastern Conference Finals and potentially a Finals with this team. I think Darius Garland, at his apex, theoretically, could be that good. Evan Mobley, if a couple of developmental things go right, could be that good. Um, So they're fine. There's no panic button that needs to be hit here. Um, the Donovan Mitchell trade was maybe a little bit too much too soon, but they've already made it and they can't make it. So here we are. Yeah. I was going to echo that sentiment about Mobley kind of evolving a little more with time. I think the 
the pressures and the, I mean, that being your first playoff series, that was kind of a lot to probably adjust to. And mm-hmm. um, he just didn't have that offensive polish to really make an impact. Him and Jared Allen were really reliant on the playmaking ability of Garland or Mitchell in a pick and roll where they can kind of set them up for offense. But doing that themselves was really something that didn't work out often. And honestly, something I didn't expect was for them to get out-rebounded so emphatically. Like, Mitchell Robinson alone has Mitchell Robinson more offensive rebounds than the entire Cavs team, I think, at the end of the series. He had over 10 tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look again here. He had... Yeah, he had 18 rebounds. He had 11 offensive rebounds. Like, that's disgusting. <laughs> the Cavs as a team had four offensive rebounds. And that was where this entire series was lost for the Cavs. The defensive um, scheme that J.B. Bickerstaff kind of went with was kind of having Jared Allen roam in the paint when Jalen Brunson was in a pick and roll situation. And anytime they uncorked a shot from outside and Jared Allen didn't have the uh, inside position to fight for those rebounds, Mitchell Robinson was just like essentially by himself with all of these rebounds coming off the rim and he could put them back or catch it or knock it out back to somebody and those second chance opportunities are just so precious in the postseason. And the Knicks had an overwhelming amount of those. And that's really where the series was won. And it's like, like you said, it's not the end of the world for the Cavs, but they definitely know where their holes are going into this offseason. Yeah. One of their holes probably should be a head coach. Oh. Um, and I don't mean to say that J.B. Bickerstaff's done a bad yeah. job. I just think that there is a – and maybe I'm being just too judgmental and I'm too analytically focused and all the things and too withdrawn from the situation to be able to make these judgments. Obviously, I'm a podcaster that lives in a church in New Orleans. What do I know about anything? Um, but it certainly seems that, to me, based on his track record as a coach, the type of issues that these Cavs are running into, I understand this is not the most perfectly constructed roster. I understand that it is it is non-ideal in terms of rotation pieces that you would want in place around those core four guys. To, to be fundamentally outmatched at basic aspects of the game, especially in the position battle, indicates either that you're... Players don't care, which does not seem like it's the case, or there's some kind of fundamental coaching issue that's not being corrected and that is costing you games unnecessarily. To me, it seems like the latter. Now, J.B. Bickerstaff is not a offensive head coach before the Cavs hired him. He was not a well-respected head coach. Yeah. He's re-resurrected that uh, legacy, that reputation a little bit, but... I also think that reasonably speaking, I don't know how much higher he could take this group of players. Like, I don't know. It sort of seems like they need an offensive guy. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And he is not it. Yeah. And uh, so fire him. <laughs> yeah, I got I mean, Nick Nurse is on the market. If 
there was anyone to switch over to, it'd be Nick Nurse. But if you ask Raptors fans, they're probably like, he's not an offensive genius either. So <laughs> it, it nope. might be a situation where they just bring him back for next year, run it back, maybe make some moves on the fringes that can nope. improve a situation in a postseason next year. So, I mean, and that's, I think that the most, the, the biggest market inefficiency right now in the NBA is coaching. To a team, and this is absent the M.A. Aduko, uh, or uh, M.A. Adoka. Is that how you say his name? M.A. Adoka? Yeah. Cool. I'm a genius. Um, absent his firing, which was for reasons completely unrelated to basketball, um, for those wondering, um, every team that fires their coach fires their coach too late. There's never been a team that has fired their coach at precisely the right time, absent arguably the Golden yeah. State Warriors in the transition between the Mark Jackson and the Steve Kerr eras. That's the last time a team was proactive and precise mm-hmm. with making a head coaching switch when they needed to make a head coaching switch. And it went okay. So now that's not to say that you fire your coach at the right time you become the Golden State Warriors. What I am suggesting is that so many teams do what you exactly just said to the point where we just accept that that's the way that we do business. Mm-hmm. Is that, well, we'll give them another year. We'll see what happens. You can... Ah, it's coaching in the NBA, unless you are a, unless you are elite at certain aspects of the coaching profession, be that man management, which is what, from what I've read and understand, 65% of the gig is anyway, if not mm-hmm. more. It's just managing the egos in that room. Never mind X's and O's. Be it a truly elite basketball tactician, some of the above combination. Unless you are truly elite, your voice wears thin quickly in these locker rooms. These are multi-millionaire, hyper-athletic, hyper-competitive individuals, young men. Yeah. There should probably be more coaching turnover in the NBA than there is currently. And I don't say that to get people fired. I'm saying in terms of a market inefficiency, in terms of people and individuals, or rather not individuals, organizations actualizing the best possible version of themselves, the turnover should be at a higher rate than it is. Yeah. If Nick Nurse can get fired, anybody should be able to get fired and get fired a lot sooner. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, to be fair, a team like the – I mean, the Hawks were able to fire their coach and bring in. Uh, Year too late. They got lucky that Quinn Snyder was on the market. Were. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's probably the reason they fired him is because Quinn was on the market. So, yeah, that's a good point. It, it would be kind of ahead of the curve in a way to uh, fire him this season, bring in Nick Nurse. But be proactive. Not everyone's Mitchell McCallum. Everything is so real. And that's their problem. That's their sin, really. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Golly, I'm some slob that lives in a closet, friends. I'm the church goblin. I don't know what's going on. Amazing. You know what else I don't know what's going on? How this podcast turned into an hour and a half or whatever. (laughs) 
we are we are uh, we have words and dare we say we have a lot of them do you have do you have anything further to add adam do you have any other thoughts uh wanderings uh, gentle wanderings to and fro from the mind um i'm just hoping these colorado avalanche can win this doggone first That's, round playoff series yeah um, I really appreciate that contribution to our basketball podcast. Thank I'm, you for that. My mental health is just <laughs> drained. Every other day, I mean, every day for like the last five days has been a playoff game. And so every night I'm just like stressed out. This is why you should have been a Houston Rockets and Washington Capitals oh, fan. You know how much mental stress I've had over playoff games recently? Zero. <laughs> Zero, none, zilch, the big old goose egg. So, just yeah. a thought. Do you have anything else? No, I don't. All right, well, I don't either. Well, my dear listeners, it is, of course, me, Mitchell McCallum. Yeah, it is, of course, Adam Dodd. We are the Notes from the Hardwood Podcast. We are so appreciative of your support. Uh, Adam told me the other day we're up to about eight listeners <laughs> our unique listens so whoever you people are i'm sorry i guess that's the big takeaway sorry about this uh i know that you willingly signed up for it and everything but i feel like still need to apologize uh but we are happy you're here we're grateful for your support and we look forward to getting back to you soon uh and until then i'm mitchell he's adam we're the notes from the hardwood we will see you again soon go with god and be well